Today I'm driving over to Yorkshire. In particular, I'm off to Sherbin Airfield to meet a fellow pilot, Brian Cattle. Brian is a very keen aviator and has been flying privately for quite a few years now. Dedicated and passionate flyers are always welcome on the podcast, so I'm glad to say that Brian's agreed to come on board to share the experiences of his flight training from PPL right through to CPL and on to Flying Instructor. So for episode 40 of Flying Podcast, let's hear what Brian has to say. All right. How are you doing, Brian? I'm fine, thank you. Good. Okay, tell me about your uh, early flying career. How did you get into aviation? Well, my original interest in aviation goes back um, probably until I was about 10 years old. Um, I was lucky enough to get on the flight deck of a holiday flight. Um, The aircraft was an Airbus 320. Um, We were somewhere over Charles de Gaulle at the time. And the captain pointed out the flickering lights of Charles de Gaulle Airport, um, sort of down in the night, uh, blackness down there. And uh, ever since seeing that, that, that image has really stuck with me. And uh, I really wanted to get into flying and flight training. Originally, I applied in 1998 to British Airways uh, for their cadet pilot training scheme. And I was lucky enough to be invited to Heathrow for an interview. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't get uh, the, the scholarship. The competition, as you imagine, was, was very tight. And uh, as a result of that, I uh, then went off to university and almost forgot about flying as a, as a career and started to forge myself a, a career elsewhere. And uh, it was, wasn't until I was out in industry working and earning a proper salary that I then had the money to come back and do uh, flight training. So I started my PPL at Leeds Bradford in uh, 2007, and I'd only done three or four hours uh, when I was struggling for weather and, and so forth. Who was that training with? Uh, that was with Multiflight. Okay. And uh, at that time, um, I was living in Warrington, and uh, my family were over here in Leeds, and that was why I was coming back over towards Leeds to, to go to Leeds Bradford and, and train there. Fortunately, at work, there was a gentleman who had a, an aircraft uh, based at Carnarvon, uh, which is just a couple of hours down the road from, from uh, Warrington. And he invited me to go there for a weekend in uh, June of 2007, and I did three or four hours uh, out of Carnarvon and found it to be a very friendly place. Everyone was very nice, not too difficult to access from where I was living in Warrington, and I never really looked back after that. I completed my PPL uh, in practically a year to the day. I think there was sort of a day in it. Um, so I, I gained my PPL in 2008. Carnarvon is a, a nice little airport, isn't it? It's got uh, four tarmac runways. Yes, it's, it's a lovely little field. Uh, X- just RAF, isn't it? It is XRAF. It was uh, RAF uh, Flanderog and um, became Carnarvon Airport. And uh, it's a busy little GA field and, and very much worth a visit. It's a beautiful little place, isn't it? Almost, almost on a peninsula, isn't it? Yes, uh, stuck out in the sea. Exactly. Yes, it's um, one, in fact one of the runways zero eight is practically straight from the runway onto a beach. Yeah. Um, and in the summer, there really is no better place. Uh, just there on the Slim Peninsula, just yeah. five miles to uh, to the south of Carnarvon Town. Uh, wonderful little airfield. Of course, as you say, you're right near RF Valley, so you need to uh, talk to them, don't you, while you're doing your training, I presume? Yes, uh, you do during the week. Uh, you do get quite a bit of interaction with Valley. Um, the weekends, they're not there, so you can practically do as you wish. Yeah. Okay, what are your sort of long-term flying goals? Are you, are you learning to fly just for leisure, or have you got a, a career in, in mind? Uh, I would um, 
ultimately like to get into the airlines, but that for me is, is a long way off. Um, I've got a sort of intermediate things that I want to do before that, uh, particularly business jets. Um, I'm, I'm quite into business jets. And again, this goes back to Carnarvon, uh, where they had a, a Beach 200 King Air, which uh, did a lot of charter work uh, from the field. And sort of being around that operation, not just the actual flying side of it, but being around operations, seeing the kinds of work that the operations managers did, uh, that sort of really got me into this idea of, of flying biz jets, and, and that's where that interest started. Okay. So where are you at in your flying career now? Um, after I had finished my PPL uh, at Carnarvon, I then came to Sherbourne Aero Club, um, having moved jobs. Whereabouts is Sherbourne, just for people that don't know geographically? Uh, Sherbourne is... Uh, just south of York, it's uh, about five to ten miles south of York. Okay. Um, a lovely little GA field um, within the Church Fenton mats. Yeah. Um, so again, we've got the bu busy military um, interaction here. Uh, I completed my night qualification uh, at Sherburn and completed a hundred hours of hour building. Uh, also flying out of Sherburn, but to many different airfields. I've, I've been to about forty different airfields in the UK. Were you building your hours with something in mind? Indeed, yes. I, I wanted to go and do my commercial licence. And so during that hour building phase, I also completed my uh, ground school, uh, commercial ground school with Cranfield Aviation Training, um, okay. who at that time were based at Cranfield. They subsequently moved to Luton. Right. So that was really the first step in, in the commercial career. And uh, from there, I've, I've gone... Last summer, which was the, the summer of 2010, uh, I completed my commercial license as advanced flight training, which is also based at Sherman. Okay. So you now have your CPL. Are you going to go on do the ATPL? I have the CPL, and uh, this summer I will continue to do the uh, flight instructor rating. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be involved with some very experienced people um, at advanced flight training uh, at Sherman. And I've got the opportunity now to go and do a flight instructor course with them and to work for them uh, during this summer. So the, the flight instructor course uh, for, for me has become something that I, I want to do. I want to pass on my knowledge. I've benefited from some absolutely marvellous instructors during my, my time and I'd like to sort of emulate them and, and pass on some of the knowledge that they've given to me. Okay. Are you doing the, the flying instructor course also just to sort of build up your experience before you decide where you're going commercially? Partly, uh, but equally I would like to instruct for advanced ratings, uh, things like the multi-engine rating, the instrument rating. Um, and again, there is a sort of defined career path through and different boxes that have to be checked to, to do that. Um, and it's all experience, all good, solid grounding, a good apprenticeship in flying. And, and really it's that that I'm looking for um, before I move on to BizJets or, or even on to the airlines. Okay. When you say you're going to move on commercially, possibly after you, you, you've done your flight, training, uh, flight instructor course and done a bit of instructing, what other commercial avenues have you thought about? Uh, well, obviously I've mentioned the, the BizJets, yep. uh, which is really where I would like to be initially. Uh, but there are all sorts of other uh, opportunities in, in aviation for... Uh, commercial pilots and, and for flight instructors. Uh, for example, parachute dropping. Um, it's, it's difficult to get into, or I found it difficult. I've, I've sent out several CVs, and so far, 
the the local parachute dropping zones all use turbine aircraft, which yeah. at my stage I'm I'm not yet qualified to to fly. Um, but also there are things such as the Ordnance Survey, um, Scottish Fisheries Protection, you know, all sorts of hands-on flying that uh, is a good apprenticeship for for a flying career and for for an airline career later uh, later on. Um, and equally, at the same time, I'd sort of like to instruct um, on days off as well and keep the instructing going. Um, so it's, it's this mix of flying that, that really interests me and, and, and what I'd like, really what I'd like to do. Okay. You say you did your, your CPR actual flight training here at Sherburn? I did, yes. Uh, advanced flight training, is that? Yes. Okay. Just tell me a bit more about that. What sort of aircraft were you training on? For the CPL, uh, advanced flight training uses uh, two aircraft. Uh, one is the Piper Warrior, PA-28, which I guess most people will be familiar with, and the Grumman Cougar, uh, which is a multi-engine aeroplane, uh, quite a rare type, in fact. There were only 115 or so of them ever built. Um, so the, the core structure is that you do 28 hours uh, total, uh, 20 of which are on the single-engine aeroplane and 8 on the multi-engine aeroplane. And at the end of that, that gets you your commercial pilot's licence and multi-engine rating all rolled into one. So you do the test effectively for for both parts of that. Okay. Um, the twenty hours single engine flying is really to get you into the right frame of mind for commercial flying, to get you into the discipline that's required to fly the twin to the standard required by the commercial flight test, um, and then the, the commercial um, element of it. Uh, is also built into that. So, can you be commercially expeditious? Can you take the shortest routes? And and, and really, that's that's what that element of the course looks at. Mm -hmm. And then you build on with the multi-engine aeroplane uh, to again raise your skill level to be able to fly a multi-engine aeroplane with that commercial standard in mind. Uh, and after that, you then into the test with the CAA examiner. Is there any flight sim involved in that? Uh, not in the course of AFT. Um, there can be. There can be, yeah. um, not but, but not in not in the AFT's case. It's all entirely done on the aeroplane. There is a lot of ground study involved um, in in terms of getting to know the twin engine aeroplane, particularly because it, it's significantly different and there are a lot of different mm -hmm. things to learn about that aircraft. Um, and the the standard of knowledge about the aeroplane demanded by the CPL is a little bit higher um, than it may be for the PPL. Um, There's some instrument flying involved? There is. There are 10 hours of instrument flying in a CPL, um, just basic instrument flying, um, nothing like advanced procedures or anything like that. Uh, but if, if you were to get into cloud, the, the idea is that you can get out safely and yep. safely navigate to your destination, although essentially the, the CPL is a VFR license. And, uh, <coughs> we've had a look around the, uh, the Cougar and you showed me the, uh, the Heath-Robinson approach to uh, Blocking out the visibility for the the pilot, incredible. Yes, we we have a, a five screens which just slide into the windows in such a way that they prevent the student from seeing anything, but yeah. allow the instructor to see the majority of. I was wondering what's what going all the, the little bits of Velcro on the windscreen were for. <laughs> Indeed, just to hold the screens in place. Yeah. Are you going to move on and do your instrument rating? You say. Ultimately, I will do uh, an IR, um, but coming back again, I think the instructor course can only do me good in yeah. terms of. Uh, getting the experience of, of flying aircraft um, and that will be helpful to me during the, the instrument rating. And where are we up to now with the with the instructor course? Uh, I've just started the instructor course uh, just this week. Um, I'm doing uh, the ground briefings part time, 
until uh, May, and then I start the flight training actually in May. But at the moment, I'm just doing little bits when I can get the time. I believe you're a, a lecturer, aren't you, by, by trade? I am, yes. Do you think that'll come in handy with the uh, flight instructor training? Uh, certainly for the ground briefs. Yeah. Um, it's, it's quite interesting in that I can go both ways with the, with the knowledge. I can use some of my lecturing work to inform how I teach ground briefings with the, the flight instructor rating. Yep. And equally, I can use some of the things that I'm learning in the flight instructor course to inform how I teach at work. Um, in fact, I've already written several of my lectures for the, for the winter yeah. uh, at work and incorporated some of the things that I've learned this week in the flight instructor course. So it's a two-way process, really. So is it sort of fairly advanced, you know, the, the, the psychology of training for flight instruction? There are some advanced uh, things used in flight instruction. For example, the, the grading of flights. Uh, how do we guarantee that if two instructors were to sit in on the same flight, we would give a similar assessment of that flight? Uh, so there are some things to learn in, in terms of grading, such as common errors of grading, such as central tendency, mm -hmm. uh, where there's a sort of tendency for everyone to give grades that are in the middle of a, a range and yeah. not towards the outside. Uh, so there are things like that to, to pick up on in the flying instructor course, um, as well as the usual lecturing and um, debriefing techniques. Just going back to your, your CPL, mm -hmm. uh, is there a cross-country flight element to the, the CPL? There is. Uh, it's quite similar to the PPL, in fact, in that you uh, must land at two aerodromes other than the one you started at. And the only real difference being that the flight has to be 300 miles, not 150, as in the case of the PPL. Uh, I was fortunate in that I did two flights out of Carnarvon that counted, and I can't remember which one I actually declared to the CAA is the one that I used. Uh, the first one was uh, from Carnarvon to Exeter to Plymouth and back to Carnarvon, and that one weighs in at about 320 miles. The second one was from Carnarvon to Carlisle uh, onto Isla, which is just off to the west of Scotland, and then back down to Carnarvon. And uh, the route we took for that, I worked out, was 611 track miles. Uh, and we took a slightly circuitous route so we could take in the Manchester Lower Level route at the same time, which yeah. was uh, a new experience to me. I'd not flown that route before. Um, so, But the, the second of those two, the Carlisle-Isla, uh, wasn't really intended to be a, a cross-country flight for the for the commercial license. Uh, we just went to Carlisle and then said, right, where should we go from here? Oh, we'll go to Isla. Mm -hmm. And then from Isla we had to go back to Carnarvon and it turned out that it would count. I've always wanted to fly up to Scotland. What, what's it like up there? Absolutely marvellous on the right day. Yep. Uh, I was fortunate, just before I started my CPL, I did a Scottish tour with uh, friend, well, two friends. And again, we started in Carnarvon. First stop was Isla. Uh, so that was the second time that I'd been there. Uh, from there we flew to Oban, from Oban to Inverness, uh, up the Great Glen. Wow. Marvellous, marvellous flight uh, up the Great Glen um, on a very calm afternoon. Really enjoyed that flight. We overnighted in Inverness and then the following morning we flew from there to Stornoway uh, up on the northwest uh, tip of Scotland. Um, ran into a little bit of an issue up there in that we were flying there in the weekend and some Scottish airfields don't open complete hours, all you know, the hours you would expect at a weekend, or they don't have fuel available. 
so we ran into a slightly odd situation where we could get to some airfields that didn't have fuel, or we could get fuel from some airfields that were closed. Yeah. Um, so we had a, a slight issue uh, up, in, up in Stornoway. Uh, finally made it back to Oban, uh, who had fuel and were open, which was a good thing. Uh, and then from Oban, we flew to Prestwick that night and uh, stayed in Prestwick. Uh, I had a friend who I did ground school with who lived in Presswick, so we had a, a meal together that evening. That's Presswick, the international airport? Indeed, yes. Yeah. Uh, we were very fortunate. We were handled by uh, Ocean Sky at uh, Presswick, who were absolutely marvellous um, and thoroughly deserving of their handling fee. Yeah. Did, does it not cost you a fortune to land somewhere like that? No, it wasn't uh, terribly expensive at all, to be honest. Um, I, I can't remember the exact figures, but it, I, I do remember it was reasonable for an international airport. Handling fee was about £15, wasn't very much. And for that, uh, we got an executive lounge while they sorted out our refuelling. Uh, they did all our paperwork for us. Uh, they got us a hotel at a very cheap rate, a very nice hotel at a very cheap rate, in fact. Um, and then from there, the following morning, we flew out to Barton. We were flying south to Manchester Barton. And uh, I arrived early morning to find an envelope on the desk with our registration on it thinking this was the bill, as you would, and I opened it and found that they'd PPR'd Barton, they'd done all our weather for us, they'd filed our flight plan, and we were just ready to walk out of the aeroplane and go. Wow. Um, and a marvellous service from them, um, thoroughly deserving of their fee. Great stuff. But uh, to answer your question about Scotland, it's a marvellous place to fly uh, on, the, on the right day, and we were just lucky to get two or three days of very good weather. I've never been further than the Lake District, but that was very nice. Indeed. we just like that, but better. It is. It's a very rugged coastline as the west of Scotland, yeah. and it's never really the same in any two places. Mm -hmm. uh, and every now and again, you'll come across little villages in coves that you know, you've know you not seen civilization for miles, and then <laughs> suddenly there's ten houses and a little yeah. beach. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful place to fly. Uh, thoroughly recommend it. Have you been back up there since? I've not been there since. Um, I would like to go back up to Scotland. Um, we were trying to get to Wick and Sumbra, uh, which were both fogged in, unfortunately, that particular day, and we couldn't get there, so I, I would like to get back and, and visit those two. I remember when I was at uh, Carnarvon, I've always thought I'll fly south and go over Snowdonia. Beautiful thing to do. I presume you go that way and when you did your, uh, your other cross-country. Uh, yes, the exit of Plymouth, um, we went via Swansea, I seem to remember. And uh, we landed at Exeter sort of midday, uh, very quick turnaround at Exeter, over to Plymouth. Uh, we had lunch and a cup of tea at Plymouth. And then we set off to route back towards Carnarvon again via Swansea. And uh, we got, we were supposed to pass a point called Roadford Lake, uh, which is just, it's like an inland ocean, in fact, near Plymouth. And when the time came, we hadn't seen it. And we found just north of where that position was that we'd actually had a DI failure. Um, so we flew back to Carnarvon from about 15 miles north of Plymouth on a standby compass, uh, which for two hours flying was quite hard work. Yep. Um, but the logic was just keep the sea to the left and you'll get back to Carnarvon. You can't go wrong, can you? <laughs> <laughs> Head for the mountains. For your ground school, you say you, you picked cats. What made you pick them? Uh, they were somewhat more flexible in their approach than many of the other ground schools that I'd approached. Yeah. Uh, I'd visited some of the other obvious choices, such as Bristol, uh, Cab Air, London Met, and although they looked excellent, uh, unfortunately the, the courses as they were laid out didn't really fit in with my work at the time, needing to get sort of six weeks off to yeah. 
go and do classes and, and sit exams, whereas cats were somewhat more flexible and provided you were in the CAA's rules, they were happy to allow you that flexibility to complete your yeah, training. That's as. what you need, isn't it? That's exactly what you need when you're working um, full-time and trying to fit your ground school in around your, yeah. your day job. Uh, and so really that got them my business uh, just because they were willing to be flexible. Yeah. I always thought it was a good idea that they split their exams into three batches rather than two. I, I never saw the logic of having two sets of exams when you could have three. No, the, the three fit together very well, actually. Um, they, they have the operational subjects such as air law, meteorology, uh, some of the navigation subjects, radio navigation and the uh, visual navigation exam. Uh, and then there's a third section with the aircraft technical uh, area. And I, I think that fits together logically very well. It means that you don't have to have long periods off work and you can split it across a few leave years as I did yep. so that I could uh, get enough leave saved up to, to do the course. Yep. Uh, it all seemed very logical to me to do it in three stages. Do you go for, is it one week's sort of cramming before the exams? You do a week's ground school for each phase, yes. Uh, so there is, there's three weeks uh, away involved and then obviously there's sort of four or five days of exams for each phase as well. Right. just depends how the exams fall in the timetable as to whether it's four or five days. And how many, what's like the maximum number of exams you can have in a day? Uh, if you're unlucky, you could probably get five or six in one day. Wow. I think the phase one element of my course, um, the last day we had about five exams, uh, which is hard work, um, but by that point you really do know the material really quite well. Yeah. And, and so you can actually just go and sit in the exam and, and do, do the papers uh, without too much of a, a worry. You, f you must be fairly academic if you're a lecturer, but you, you don't find the sort of the ground school material that taxing. It's all fairly straightforward. I found a lot of it straightforward, but there are parts of it that are very difficult uh, and very difficult to learn. Yeah. Uh, particularly things like air law, um, it's just phenomenally difficult to learn and get it to stick in your mind. Right. Um, but again, it's one thing that cats are extremely good at is developing learning techniques to to show you how to learn that kind of material. Um, they have little rhymes and things that mm -hmm. allow you to uh, learn some of that material. And uh, it all really does help. Uh, I, I, I found cats to be extremely good, both in terms of the flexibility, as we mentioned earlier, but also in the way that they help you remember all the material that you have to remember. And there is a phenomenal amount. Yeah. So you, you're about to study for your flying instructor course. You may do your IR. I will do an IR. Um, will do an IR. That will be sometime next year now. Um, and basically, when I've saved up, having gone the modular route, uh, the advantage being that I can train, save up a little bit, train and save up again. Okay. You, um, you've not done an IMC. I have an IMC rating. You have an IMC. I do have an IMC rating. Um, in fact, my flight training has, in some sense, paralleled the old UK national system a little bit more than you might find with most people these days. In that, in the old UK national system you got a CPL, or a basic CPL as it was then, but you, you, you got your CPL, an IMC rating, and then you could be an instructor. You would then instruct until you had about a 1,000 hours, at which yep. time you became eligible to do an instrument rating. And if you plot through my training, I have more or less followed that system in that I've got the CPL, now doing the instructor rating, and if you add on the extra hours, instructional hours that I'll have by the time I can afford to do an instrument rating, I'll have about a thousand hours. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've 
closely followed the UK national system, really, rather than the current JAs. Right. Have you found the IMC to be invaluable? I found it to be very useful. Yeah. Uh, I have had a couple of uh, flights now where the IMC rating has come in handy and the knowledge that I've gained in that rating has been useful um, to make sure that there's been a safe outcome. But yeah. equally, it's a case of knowing how to plan for the eventuality that you might end up IMC. Yeah. Um, so I've thoroughly enjoyed having an IMC rating. Uh, I have a multi-engine IMC rating. I did my test on the multi-engine aeroplane. Uh, and I can thoroughly recommend having an IMC rating and, and gaining one now uh, while its status is possibly going to be changed by the Europeans in the coming months. Yeah, sir. Yep. Could you advise someone on how you would use an IMC rating day to day? I think it's just a case of being sensible with an IMC rating and realising that it is not an instrument rating. Yep. It's a fairly short course, isn't it? It's a 15-hour course, 10 of which are basic instrument flying and 5 of which are applied instrument flying, which yep. is basically procedures, ILSs, uh, NDB approaches, surveillance radar approaches. Um, so the, the way that I tend to use my IMC rating is not to fly on a bad weather day. Yep. It's just to allow me to do things in complete flights that otherwise you probably couldn't. Yeah. Um, but always knowing when and where I'm going to be using those privileges at the planning stage. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not being caught out by weather. I'm planning to use that skill at a particular time. Yeah. Fine. Have you ever flown in America, by the way? I've not, no. no America's uh, an area I would like to get into. You've flown um, abroad anywhere else? You, have you ever flown to France? I've not. Would you believe that? I won't. No, I don't believe it. Yeah, no, oh, I've never been further south than Wolverhampton. Can you believe you that? Know, <laughs> no, no. Some nice airfield, airfields in the south. Yeah. Um, we were just talking earlier, weren't we? We might you know, get a twin um, <coughs> in September when I finish my instructing on the university contract and fly to somewhere like Ostend, cover the entire north coast of France, go over to Jersey and then come back up. Nice. Um, so we're, we're looking at that kind of tour. I, I did a very big Scottish tour, so we're looking to do the, the southern tour in, as, a, as an equivalent. I always promised myself when I was learning to fly, I always said I'm going to go to Latouquet or somewhere. I've never managed it yet. But yeah, you should. No, well, well, I, I should. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been outside the UK FIR, which is a bit of a... Now you've said it, it's a bit of a worry, that, isn't it? Must do that. In Scotland is a different FIR, isn't it? So you have to file a flight plan, don't you? Uh, no, you don't. Just crossing to the Scottish FIR, you don't. Do you not? No. Right. No. It's um, Jersey and the Channel Islands you do because you're in the French FIR. Um, Ireland you would, Northern Ireland you would, but Scotland, uh, uh, we, we filed one or two flight plans while we were up there, things like Stornoway because it's a remote location. Yeah. So you don't want to be uh, overdue somewhere that nobody <coughs> knows that you're going. Um, so we did uh, file a few up there, but you know, to cross the border you don't actually have to do so. Some of the the beaches up there are crystal white, aren't they? And oh, yeah. The sea is like emerald or yes. turquoise, whatever. It's unbelievable. But it's not far off that at Carnarvon either. Many of the time I've flown out on a sunny day and looked down, I thought, you know, you can see the, the sand beneath the waves and it's beautiful. It's almost like the Bahamas. <laughs> it, it can be. It yeah. can. I've got a photograph at home of uh, Carnarvon uh, just taken out of um, Pier 28. Yeah. The first weekend I went there and there's nothing to give away that it's Wales. You think you're in the Greek islands or something. Yeah. yeah it's unbelievable. I know, it, I mean, it's my favourite trip to fly from Manchester through Liverpool. So it gives yeah. a bit of a bit of uh, ATC. Yeah. And they're very friendly going through their yes, okay. airspace. 
<coughs> bit of beacon work going towards Wallasey and yeah, Wallasey is a good marker. And then you've nothing to worry about navigation-wise, as you say. Keep the land on your left. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. You can see the Great Orm. You fly towards that and then track down the uh, the Menai Straits. The Menai Straits, lovely on the right day. I've yeah. I've flown up and down there so many times, and I you know, I'd do it right now if I could. You know, it's just a wonderful place to fly. Yeah. Definitely. Another nice trick to play actually is if, instead of going straight down the Menai Strait, just go around the back of Anglesey. Yeah. Um, it's, it's quite nice to do that. That's about half an hour, but yeah. it's, it's a nice little trip to do and just just, run, just watch for the restricted zone on the north the edge nuclear, of Anglesey. Nuclear power yeah, station. Yeah, Wilver. Uh, but if you come around, especially at the weekend because Valley aren't there, you'll pass RAF Valley quite close by. Yeah. Uh, and then coming to Carnarvon from the Newbra Forest area, which is a, a lovely little way to come in through the back door, as it were. Yeah. And uh, another thing that we used to do as locals is coming through the Nebo Valley, uh, which you can see just south of Carnarvon on the chart there, there's a valley with a um, TV mast yep. uh, just on it there. And so what we often do is instead of coming down the Menai Strait or coming up the Slim Peninsula, we'll come down the valley at the back. Yeah because um, not very many other people do it yeah. um, trying to avoid the mast which is actually very easy to see it's um, lo known locally as coming in through the back door <coughs> right so but it's a, it's a lovely place to fly as Wales um, if you want the big ATC then you've got Liverpool and Harden just to the south mm -hmm. uh, I've been to Harden more times than I can count um, my first big PPL navigation trip was into Harden um, thoroughly enjoyed that and been back about three times since. Uh, Liverpool was a nice one to do. I've done Liverpool once. You've actually landed at Liverpool? I have landed at Liverpool. Um, I lost an enormous amount of money when I did it, but uh, that was inevitable. I guess it's a, a big international airport. Yeah. Um, and I have once uh, in the right-hand seat landed at Manchester um, with a, a friend who was doing a, a charter flight on a Piper Seneca, yeah. uh, which was a good laugh. More chance of getting lost on the taxiways than there are getting there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, to be honest, I've been around. Okay, well, thank you very much, Brian. Thank you very much. Brian Cattle there, currently studying for his flying instructor rating at Advanced Flight Training at Sherbin Airfield. If you've never flown into Sherbin, it's a great little airfield and well worth a visit, even if you have to come by road. Brian tells me that uh, Advanced Flight Training are uh, an extremely professional flight training organisation and uh, he would highly recommend them. If you'd like more information about them, have a look at their website, which is uh, www.advancedflighttraining.co.uk. That's Advanced Flight Training, all one word, .co.uk. If you'd like more information about uh, Sherbin Airfield, you'll have to have a look at uh, Sherbin Aero Club's uh, website, which is www.sherbin-aero. Uh, Dash club .org .uk. That's Sherbin dash aero, A E R O, dash club .org .uk. I will, of course, put these links in the uh, podcast show notes on the Flying Podcast website. Uh, whilst you're on the Flying Podcast website, please have a look at some of the sponsored links on there. If there's anything that catches your eye, feel free to uh, have a click on there and go and have a look round. All goes towards earning a few extra pennies for me to uh, help offset the cost of uh, running the podcast. Well, that's it for episode 40 of Flying Podcast. If you have any comments, suggestions for future episodes, or if you'd like to take part, you can email me on steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Thanks for listening. I'll speak to you again soon.